0: God, I ask of you this morning that you would cause my words not to be eloquent, but that they would be clear and precise with an understanding, with the quickness, being led by the power and the might of your Holy Spirit, that we would obtain the ability to understand these scriptures, God, To understand what it is that your spirit is saying to us right now, today, God. Father, we ask that you would convict, rebuke, encourage, God. That your word would do that which you set out for it to do, God. That it would cause us to think, to ponder, and to meditate. However, the application may be in our personal lives. But God, if we hear this word when we leave from here. If there is a conviction that we would not be able to sleep until we address it, God. That it would bring us to the point of repentance. That would cause us to be closer to you, God. That it would make more of you and less of us, Father. All for your glory. God, we pray to you and we ask you these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, of course, in these two remaining verses, we know from the prior verses, the past few weeks, that here Jesus is standing on trial before Pontius Pilate. And he is facing tremendous false accusations the people have been stirred up they've been convinced through deception and they say that he is perverting the nations he's perverting the people now we made clear he's not perverting but he was actually healing he was, he was helping people but they have it out so bad for him that they choose to incriminate him and, and bring him to a point of conviction that's ultimately going to send him to the cross now we know By our understanding that this is God's will. God willed this already. But there is um, things here that we can see that it's good for us to acknowledge it and to address it. We can pay close attention to all of the envy and all of the jealousy and the hatred and and the pride that's in the midst of all of this. Jesus standing in the middle, bound up in chains. We see the result of people not standing their ground. Now this we see in Pilate. Because he clearly doesn't see an error. I don't see a reason for this man to be convicted. He's innocent. But he didn't stand his ground. Now, again, this is will. This had to happen. But it doesn't neglect the fact. That we can see today that there there are times when we acknowledge the truth. We know what's right, but we do not stand our ground. And there will always be consequences to pay because of it. And I would say that that's why this nation, this country, is in the state that it's in right now. Because the church, the body of Christ, the ecclesia has not stood their ground firm on their convictions. We see that wrong desires lead to bad choices. And of course, those bad choices lead to even worse consequences. This is the Pharisees. They have a desire, right? A desire to uh, falsely accuse someone, to kill him. And then the people begin to follow because they are persuaded. They're influenced. They're stirred up. And this was all done, of course, because of envy. They envied Jesus. They couldn't stand him. Now, we've talked about jealousy, and jealousy is the fact that uh, somebody has something that you don't have, so that creates something that is jealous. Now, after a while, that jealousy turns into what is envy. Now, envy is just a feeling of being discontented or resentful. I resent certain individuals uh, because uh, there's a longing that's caused in my soul because I want what you have be it possessions or qualities. And in this case, it's the qualities of Jesus. I mean, He is God. He has the ability not to just change someone, not to cause someone to just stop drinking or stop smoking or stop being promiscuous. But no, I can change your life all across the board and cause you to be on your way to uh, eternity in heaven. No one else possesses that. Now, once in envy is birthed, then it influence, influences begin to lead the heart of an individual. We're influenced. I, I want that. I don't have it. People are influenced many things, money material things, we're influenced, we want that. As a matter of fact, even in the body of Christ, someone has a certain gift and we're influenced and I want that gift. I want to be able to teach the Bible like this individual or I want to be able to pray like that individual and there begins to be an envy, but everybody has a different calling. And everybody's needed as part of the body of Christ. But see here, because of this envy, they begin to influence the other people. And if anyone is not strong in Christ, then those influences will begin to turn your whole outlook on what the Bible says. And we see that a determined heart will do what it is set out to do. There's no stopping it. Whether it is good or it is bad, uh, a determined heart is going to do it. Why? The Pharisees. They were determined to get Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. They did it at the point of lies. They did it at the point of of shaming and everything else. But as a matter of fact, we also see that Jesus had his heart determined to go to the cross. And nothing stopped him. He did it. Nothing nothing, uh, uh, held him back. So he was determined. So you see two hearts determined to do something. One doing evil, one doing good. But the determination of a heart Shows that it will do what it is set out to do. So you have two men standing there. They're both bound up in chains. One innocent. The other one is guilty. One is righteous. The other one is unrighteous. Jesus and Barabbas. On the other side. You have a convinced governor. Pontius Pilate. This man is innocent. He is free from all error. Even to the point where he says, I wash my hands clean of him. And you have a deceived people. They're deceived because they've been influenced, they've been stirred up by the influence of the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 27. It says in verse 16. That at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that they handed him over because of envy. They were envious of the Christ. Because they wanted what he had. In a sense, they wanted the power that Jesus possessed. We want to be able to open blind eyes and and cast out demons. And we want the ones to have the attention. We we, uh, want to be the ones that people say, Rabbi, Rabbi, not Jesus. So because of it, this man is demonic. So Barabbas, we see him here. In Matthew's version that he was he was notable. He was he was uh, without a doubt he was known to people. They knew this guy's not a good guy. He is he's bad. He was marked. He was bound with chains because of his actions and his character. Because of what he did, because of what he was known as. Now Jesus was also both of those. He was notable. He was known. He was bound in chains as well because of his actions and his character. However, he was only on trial because of envy. And Matthew chapter 27 verse 20 says that the people were persuaded to ask for Barabbas. We convinced them. The Pharisees convinced them. They persuaded them. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 22 and 23, Pilate then said to him, "Uh, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? This is the Messiah. This is the man that you've been looking for from the very beginning of time that's prophesied about. What do you want me to do with him? They all said to him, let him be crucified. The governor then said, why? What evil has he done? But they all cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. I mean, this made them even more angry that they didn't even answer his question. What evil has this man done? Well, they skipped the answer and they cry out even more. Now there's more of a passion, more of a anger. I have to get this guy. Just listen to what we're saying. They didn't even acknowledge the fact that this was the long-awaited-for Messiah. I mean, we're waiting for this king that's going to come. And they chose to ignore it. Their response was instead, crucify him. What evil has he done? They didn't give a response. They just continued with the accusations. Now, we've made clear that it is the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, who accuses the brethren. And you can note here that dead religion is never willing to reason. But instead, it's always ready to commit treason. Treason being that they want to overthrow the authority of uh, well, you can see it in a government, any kind of authority. You want to overdo it. You want to overthrow it. This is the authority of God, Jesus Christ himself. They're ready to do that because that's what they're doing with the Christ. But they're doing it all in the name of religion. But this religion is dead. They don't ever want to reason. They don't ever want to talk about things. Wait a minute. This is what I believe. This is what I've been led to understand. But let's talk about it. Let's go through the scriptures. Let's, let's, let's uh, see if we can understand. Maybe I am wrong. Maybe I'm not. Maybe you are. But no, they don't want to reason. This is what it is. That's the way that, it, that it's going to be. And instead, they end up committing treason. And you still see that today. There's a lot of denominations and believers that they're set on their ways and their beliefs to the fact that let's just overthrow the truth and the reality of Scripture because we're the final authority. I mean, that's the whole reason why the Protestant church split from the Roman church was because of that right there. The Word has the final authority. God has the final authority. Not what any individual says, but the Word of God does. go to Mark chapter 15 and verse 7. Here we see that there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in their rebellion. So here they clearly mark him as a murderer. The King James uh, doesn't say in their rebellion, but it says in their insurrection. Because in this insurrection, that's what it is, rebellion. But he was chained with his fellow rebels, his friends, the people who went along with him. They were bound. And this rebellion that's talked about, it's the Greek word stasis where we get our English word for stay. So what it means is they were standing their ground for whatever they believed in. We're not going to budge. And you often see that, right? When it comes to secular things, when it comes to things that are ungodly, people are ready to stand their ground. But when it comes to the things of the gospel, there's a lot of fleeing that happens. There's not a lot of standing. Well, there is in some areas, but it's far and few. They were standing, again, on their own beliefs, and they were standing in their own power. It's what I desire. Now, not only did the Jews stir them up again, but they, uh, not only did they persuade them, but they stirred them up. I mean, they really just put these things in their head and they convinced them of it. And Again, you see that happening today. I mean, there's a lot of stirring up in the church, whether people are trying to, Blaspheme the name of God. Or if they're just trying to slander a certain brother or sister or maybe a certain ministry. They're putting things in the head and they're stirring people up rather than reasoning. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 23, it says that they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that He be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed they were loud they were powerful so Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested they did a good job they did enough yelling and shouting that they got what they wanted and he released them and he released to them the one they requested who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison but he delivered jesus to their will we're going to let this one go. This is the one that we want. The guilty one. The one who was wrong. The one who's a murderer. The one who was in rebellion. This one who's innocent. Keep him. Crucify him. They insisted it. They demanded it with loud voices. And after this, Pilate asked him three different times, three different times, what has this man done? What evil has he done? And this is exactly where we see that a determined heart is going to achieve what it's set out to do. They don't ever answer the question, what is he set out to do? Just crucify him. Just give us Barabbas. As a matter of fact, you can see today that there are many loud voices out there that are insistent on getting their way? And they're getting their way because nobody's standing firm. Whether you're talking about uh, the movement for social justice or you're talking about Black Lives Matter or you're talking about all these other agendas that are happening out there, they're shouting, they're being loud, and they're demanding things. And they're getting their way. They're standing their ground. But there's many believers who don't stand their ground. They flee. They they avoid it. Now, when it comes to this, they don't want a reason. They don't want to talk about it. Again, why is that important? Because that's why this country is in the condition that it's in. All these issues, the the same gender relationships, and nobody wants to talk about them. But, oh, they can shout, they can scream, they can get loud, they can make songs and say, you better get ready because we're coming for your kids. And we're going to get them when we and when we get them, they're going to come after you. So you better get used to it. There ain't nothing you can do about it. Boy, they're standing their ground. But what's the response? Right. And now it doesn't need to come with anger. It doesn't need to come with hostility, but it needs to come with a firm conviction of saying, no, that's not what it's going to be. You're not coming for my kids. And I'm not going to get used to it. But you better get used to the fact that there is a coming king and there is a judgment. And unless you repent, you're going to face that judgment for eternal damnation. That's the truth of the gospel. I mean, we can't be afraid to... uh, uh, Anybody's going to get angry? They got angry with Jesus. That's why He's where He's at right now. You can't avoid the truth of the gospel and you have to stand firm on the truth that Scripture talks about. I mean, we have to. In, In verse 40 of John chapter 18... The Bible clearly says here at the end, now Barabbas was a robber. He was a robber. I mean, you have to know if if we pay attention, the Holy Spirit explicitly put that in for a reason. I mean, they made it clear he's in rebellion. He is a thief. He is a robber. So you have to ask, then who is this guy Barabbas? Had never heard of him before. We heard about Jesus. He came on the scene. But Barabbas, we don't know who he is. Who exactly was he? Well, this is the only instance in Scripture that we read about him. But see, this is where you want to realize the name play that goes in the names of people. All of the names in Scripture mean something and they're there for a reason. Every single one of them, starting with Adam to the very last man who was Jesus. Who died on the cross, not the last man in the world, but the last man who saved us. And his name means, uh, My God is salvation, Yeshua. That is the Greek word for the Hebrew Yahashua, which is Joshua. My God is salvation. But when you look at Barabbas, this man, Barabbas, the thief, the robber, the one insurrectionist, the one who was in rebellion, you see, have to look at his name, and his name is Barabbas. Do you remember Simon? God said, Simon Bar-Jonah. Barabbas. Bar means son. Okay. And of course, you've heard the name Abba. Paul says, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So then you clearly see that Barabbas is son of the father or son of a father. But in this case, not son of the father, capital F, like Jesus Christ, but son of the father, little f. So here we see clearly two sons. One uppercase. One lowercase. Two gods. One is real and one is a counterfeit. One gives, the other one takes away. This is exactly what we saw in our last election. Now, I know people don't like to talk about it, and I'm not saying that that Trump or Biden were God themselves, but they stood for something. One of them stood for life that that was going to give you more. Okay, Uh, Our previous president, he allowed everything that was of Christ in office. I mean, you heard the name of Jesus Christ everywhere, and nobody got offended. Well, you had a few out here, but you have another man over here. That says, yes, I, 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 I go to church, and, 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 I, and I go attend this, and I do this, and yes, for God. But it was a little g God. This one allowed things that give life. This one allows things that take life away. And they stood there, and the people shouted, and they yelled, and they preferred one. And it's almost as they were saying, give us Barabbas. We don't want the big son of God. We don't want him. We're tired of him already. We need our agendas fulfilled. Give us Barabbas instead. And they'll go to any point. I mean, I'm not trying to make big on the whole election thing, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is they, they went over and above the same way that these Pharisees are going over and above to try to get Jesus crucified. Now, why is that important to realize and to understand? Because verse 39 of John 18, Pilate said, you have a custom that I should release to you at the Passover one prisoner. You have a custom. And this word for custom means that you're used to something. So in other words, you're used to getting your way. Okay, so now you, you're, you're, this is familiar to you. You know that this is going to happen. And this is where it's important because when envy comes in and you're influenced, then you begin to prefer things that are more your will rather than God's. You're influenced by them and now you're used to that. I'm used to having my way. I'm used to praying to my God and he's going to heal me every single time. I'm used to praying to my God and he's going to cause this thing that I'm asking for to happen every single time. And so it's a custom that you have in your life now. You're used to these things happening. And it's at that point that tradition becomes greater than truth. The tradition, the things that we go through in day in and day out and these preferences are influenced by ungodly and envious influences. because now they say yeah, you got a big big business, a lot of money and so people prefer that. I want I want to talk to that God. I want to pray to that God, the one that can give me what you have, that money. Or the one who can give me the spouse that is better looking than everybody else. Or to the God that can give me this and you can fill in the blank with so many things, but nobody wants the God that can give them eternal salvation. I mean, am I, am I by myself this morning or is that not the truth? Is that not what we see when we read the gospel and then we look outside at everything that's happening? And you have to ask why? Why? You don't have to submit to God. You don't have to follow God. I mean, you're free to get up. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to sit in the chairs. You don't have to pray. You're free to do as you want to do but yet for some reason they're deceived and they come and they sit in chairs and they, they go to prayer meetings, but they're praying to a different God. They're praying to the little G God. They're praying to the Barabbas in their life. Don't give us the real God. Don't give me the real thing. Do away with him. Crucify him. Destroy him. Get him out of my face. Get him out of my ears. I don't want to hear about him. Like that lady at Harbor Freight that I talked about a few weeks ago. They said, I just can't stand when they talk to me about their Jesus. I'm glad that I heard about him because he saved my soul. He saved my soul from misery, not just eternally, but here now he did it. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to receive the joy. You don't have to wait to receive the things that God says he has planned for us. He'll give it to us now. So because of that, I want to hear about that Jesus. And people should want to hear about it. But if you don't want to hear about it, I'll be quiet. I'm not that Christian who's going to shove it in your face. We shouldn't be. None of us. God is not the even one. He gives us a choice. Follow me or not. The choice is yours. What God gets displeased with is, as we preached a few weeks ago, stop standing at the door. Come on inside. Don't stand at the door without, but come in the door within and receive me. Sometimes because of others, sometimes because of our own frail carnality, we get influenced by certain things. I mean, it happens in ministry. I want a big church like that. I want to have a lot of people. I I, I want to have a name for myself. I want to be on television. I want to have these things. So now the desire is for another God. Who do you want released to you? Who do you want me to give to you? And there's pulpits who, in a sense, are telling the congregation, who do you want me to give to you? Who do you want me to give to you? And the congregation, not with their words, but with their actions, say, look, I'm going to keep putting money in the offering. You give me Barabbas. Who do you want me to preach to you? Who do you want me to give to you? Well, you keep telling me that I'm going to be blessed and highly favored. You give me Barabbas and and, and you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours in a sense. But see, the truly regenerated prophetic voice, the man of God is going to say, no, I won't give you Barabbas. I'll give you Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you that, yes, he was crucified, but he was crucified with a purpose. And that purpose was to bring eternal life, eternal joy into your life. You don't have to accept it if you don't want to. I would encourage you because of the warning that is to come. But it's your choice. You can choose eternal damnation if that's what you want. That's not why God came, that the world might be saved. But the choice is yours. Now the preference is not your will, God, but my will be done. We command God in our prayers. We expect from God, and I'm not saying we shouldn't expect. We should be expecting people to hear his voice, to see what he does. But it gets so bad to the point where we expect our will to be done. But this little G God, this small S son of the father, remember it says that he's a thief. He's a robber and he's in rebellion. And this son of the father brings destruction. He steals your joy. And he ends up killing you eternally. Remember in John chapter 10, verse 10, what did Jesus say? He said, the thief does not come except for what? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I came. Why? That you might have life. And at that, that you would have life and have it more abundantly. I mean, Jesus was clearly telling the disciples this. I'm the true shepherd. Everyone who doesn't come in through the door, everybody else is a thief and a robber. You have to go in through that door again. You don't stand at the door. You have to come in through it. Everybody else is false. Oh, there's many gods out there. Many gods. Again, as the psalmist would say, some are made out of gold, some are made out of uh, silver, some have exotic paint jobs on them. Some of them even wear toddler shoes. What am I saying? That we need to love our, our children, but there's the individuals who even make gods out of their kids. And we have to know how to discern that. There's some individuals who make gods out of their spouses. Somebody say, how can I do that? It can be done. When we exalt them to the level that belongs to God and they influence us. Because I have a friend that, I mean, she, she found a husband and man, he's, he's really good. He works. He has money. I mean, he's good looking. He's built. And so now I want this and, and it becomes envy and I want this. And men do the same thing and just so many different things. Or Their, their, their child, man, they, they have a, a career. They're going to college. They're, they're learning and I want that. Now I'm envious. I desire that. But we should desire what God has predestined for us. But this problem hasn't started today. It's not new to America. It's not new uh, to our era. But it's from the very beginning of time. When you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 18. Previously, Elijah goes to stand before King Ahab. Now King Ahab was a wicked man. And he says, oh, there you are, O troubler of Israel. Again, He didn't like him. Why? Because he stood firm on his beliefs, the things that that God was for. And so Abraham says, uh, Ahab says, there you are, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah replied and said, I haven't troubled Israel. I'm here to help Israel. But you and your father's house have. How? How have you guys troubled Israel in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed what? The bells. Now, now, this word basically means little gods. It's the plural, the Hebrew, uh, Balim is the plural, plural, but it says the Baals. Baal was a god, a god of prosperity, a god of increase, a god of money, and that's who you're following. You forsook God. So in a sense, you said, hey, don't give us the real God. Give us Barabbas. Give us the other God. Give us the Baals. That's who we want to hear. You have troubled Israel. I haven't because you influenced them through envy. And now they want all this foolishness that you are showing to them. You go back even further. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua standing before the children of Israel. He tells them in verse 14, Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river Or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a clear proclamation. Me? My my household, what I'm responsible for, we're going to serve God. But you decide, you make the choice. I'm not going to make it for you. I'm not even going to have to influence you. You decide Do you want to serve those gods that are dead, the gods that couldn't pull you out of Egypt, the ones who weren't able to deliver you. They couldn't even cause a wave to almost split the Red Sea. But our God, he completely split it to where it was completely dry. You went from one end to the other without getting wet. You decide which one. Is it evil to serve our God? That's up to you. But for me, I know what I'm going to do. But ever since the beginning of time, we want to follow because these envious influences. I, I want that. I, I, don't, I don't want it. I, I don't like what God has to offer. It's bland. It's there, There's no fun in it. I you, you can't go out and do what you used to do. But follow these guys because you can have your cake and eat it too. And then some. <laughs> And that's the deception that goes around. In 2 Timothy chapter 3. I mean, there are some scriptures that you just can't go around. You have to to confront them. And Paul is writing to Timothy, a young preacher, young in the faith. And when he wrote to him, he said, Timothy, don't let people despise your youth. Don't make you feel like you're less than. You preach what I told you to preach. Everything that I taught you, everything that you learned from your grandmother, you stand strong in your convictions. You preach the word. Don't turn from it. Make sure that people have sound doctrine. And this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus, not anything else. Don't don't sway from it just a little bit. He says in verse one, you know this. That in the last days, perilous times are going to come. I think they're already here, right? For men will be lovers of themselves. Checkmark. We're there. Lovers of money. Checkmark. They're going to be boasters. They're going to be proud. They're going to be blasphemous. Femurs, what does this mean? It means they're going to make less of God. God, you don't matter. You know what? You just stay down here and shut your mouth. Again, give us Barabbas. Put this guy away. Let's destroy him. We don't want to hear about him. They're disobedient to parents. Right, parents? Amen. I mean, there's a few uh, youngsters that you're trying to lead them up in the way of the Lord. But if I've ever seen uh, disobedience to parents... It is today. I mean, I grew up in, in an age where you don't disrespect your parents. I don't care what. Not only did you disrespect them out of reverence because you respected them, but not only that, they'll sit you down with the right hook. Now that's child abuse now. Unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. Unloving unforgiving, slanderers. They love to talk about other people and drive them into the dirt. These are Christians that they're talking about. Unthankful. So we we wake up in the mornings complaining because I didn't get enough sleep or I didn't sleep well, rather than saying, God, thank you. Thank you that you opened my eyes. Thank you that I have abilities to be able to move rather than to just be here they are without what? Without self-control. Because that's one of the most baffling things of the life of a believer. Well, I I can't stop what it is that I'm struggling with. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop doing uh, dope. I can't stop being promiscuous. I can't stop whatever the area is they struggle. How can you not stop if the God that rose from the dead lives inside of you? How can you not have the power to stop? Because there's no self-control, but Galatians chapter 5 says that that's a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. I don't have to get angry and have an outburst of anger and yell at my wife. I don't have to be ugly with people. Why? Because I have self-control. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel it inside. You'll feel it inside. Oh, yes, you will. But wisdom says I need to step away and take a small breath of air. They are brutal. They are despisers of good. They're traitors. That means there's no loyalty. They're headstrong. They're haughty. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that's why they desire a Barabbas, a God formed to their own image, their own liking. It's as if God was Plato and they mold them and they shape them and say, look, this is my God. And they put them on their car dashboard. They hang them around their rearview mirror. They'll wear them around their neck. But he's not alive. It's idolatry. You made your own God up. Oh, my God has green eyes, and, and my God doesn't have long hair. It's short hair, but my God says I can do this and that, and everything's okay. No, that's, yeah, I know which God it is now. It's a Barabbas. It's not the real God. It's not the God who died. It's not the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. In 2 Timothy verse 7, it says that they're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They don't have the power for that. You're always learning, you're always reading scripture and and, and and I know it and I can quote it now but I don't have the power or the ability to actually come to the truth of what it really does mean. I can quote it to you but I really don't know what it what it intends for me. They learn to manipulate They're always learning to come out ahead. They're always learning how to prosper. They're always learning how to make it about themselves. And they use the gospel to justify it. Do you know the individual? The one who gets married? The Christian who gets married and then he's divorced? And then he gets married and then he's divorced? And then he gets married again and then he's divorced? But he uses scripture to justify it. Why? It's not about God, it's about me. It's not trying to poke at any individual or make light of it. But this is the severity of what's happening here. If marriage entails uh, Jesus and the church, then what's the picture there? We see what's happening when people say, okay, I rededicated my life to God. But then next week you're over here. And then I rededicate my life again to God. And then you're back over here. That's not pleasing to God. Because God already knew your heart when you rededicated the first time, the second time. And John chapter 2 says that that's why he did not commit himself because he knows what's in your heart. This God looks like the real thing, but it denies the power to become the real thing. I see it, but it's not. And the desire of a heart's always going to be demonstrated in its preference. This is what I prefer. Oh, and you can see it. A lot of times preachers will say, let me see your checkbook and I'll show you who your God is. You don't even have to see a checkbook. Just listen to him speak for a little bit. Talk to me for five minutes and I'll be able to get a good idea of where your God is. Whether the God be golf or the God be a certain job or a hobby. And those things are good. There's nothing wrong with them. But when that's the only thing that comes out of your mouth or the main thing that comes out of your mouth, then it demonstrates what's inside of your heart. Who do you want to be released to you? That's a question to ponder on. Give me Jesus. Or give me Barabbas. Don't shoot it to me straight. Don't give me the truth. I don't want to hear the truth. I don't want want it to cause disruption in my life. Just. Just give me something easy so that I can feel good. I dropped a couple of dollars in the offering and I made it here on time. Just give me something easy so that I can get on my way to eat and carry on with my life. I mean, an individual can go on and go on there with this situation with Barabbas, but it's a clear picture of two different gods and they desire the lesser one than the real one, the true one, the greater one. But there's also another picture there that I wouldn't want us to miss. I wouldn't want us to lose out on it because it is extremely important. These two men, Jesus and Barabbas, standing both for judgment. The innocent was found guilty and the guilty was set free, right? We made that clear already. But the picture we see is that's you and me. That's every single believer. Jesus is standing there, bound up in chains, and there is you and I. We are Barabbas, bound in chains, guilty. We're not innocent. We are rebellious people. We've robbed and stolen from the glory of God. We don't give Him what He's due. We don't give them honor. We don't give them praise. We don't give them glory. We take the credit. Look at everything that I made. Look what I worked for. and Look at my house. I built this house. I did this. We stand our ground the same same way Barabbas did. We stand our ground in rebellion to the living God and we prefer our own ways. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live it the way that I want to. However, we still remain standing Bound up in chains of bondage, bound up in chains of hatred and dependencies, uh, bondage of chains of unforgiveness, bitterness, I'm, I'm angry. And here we are standing here, and there is Jesus standing there bound. And we stand before the Lamb of God in faith, Jesus and us. He breaks the chains, and He releases us in freedom, and we're set free. We're set free from being captive, and he goes, therefore, bound to the cross, and he dies for our sins for every single believer. And in that case, we are Barabbas. We have stood guilty before God. But in this case, by our faith, God has said, release them. I'll take their punishment for them. And all the while, he takes on our shame. He takes our sins and he embraces it upon himself, upon the cross. This is called the wrath of God. The wrath of God put upon the Lamb of God. Everything that we deserved, everything that was supposed to come to every believer, he said, I'll take it. Take those chains off of them. Set them free. I'll take it. So a question this morning is, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Does Barabbas represent a powerless, counterfeit God that resides in envy and influence? Or does Barabbas represent the freedom of Christ that comes through salvation? Which which Barabbas are we? Who is he to us? Is he that counterfeit God? The one that continues to lie to us. The one that keeps us feeling defeated day in and day out. Because see, that's not necessarily the life of a Christian. God didn't come to save you so that you can feel defeated constantly. God came to give you the life and life in abundance. He came to empower you so that, oh yes, you walk through trials, but you're going to walk through that fire. You're not going to be burnt. You're going to come out on the other end. That's the power of Christ. But the one, if you're always constantly defeated, I can't seem to get out ahead. Everything always goes bad for me. It's just always me. Then guess what? You may be serving a little God, Barabbas. It only comes by the Son of God, capital G, Jesus Christ. He sets us free. And that is the second one. Freedom in Christ, it comes through salvation, salvation. God did not save any individual so they could still be in bondage. None. If we had freedom before Christ to do as we chose, we have freedom uh, after Christ to do as we choose. The thing is, and now we have this one thing called wisdom. And wisdom says, that might not be the best thing for you. And so where do you stand? We stand our ground, most definitely. But is it in the freedom of Christ truly? I mean, self-examination is a wonderful thing. It's not done to cause you to doubt your salvation, but where, where am I at really? Who have I trusted in? Who have I believed in? This God that, that's, that's a thief and a robber? Because I feel like I'm stolen from all the time. I feel like, I, like, like I'm lied to. And I'm plundered. I don't have any joy. I don't have uh, the joy that I see other people having. I I always feel down and depressed and and, and upset. And and, and which God have I believed in? Because when I read the gospel, there is a joy unspeakable that caused people to dance in an outburst. They danced, they sang with joy, they rejoiced. Why? Because their chains have been taken off. Because if you have chains, you can't rejoice, you can't move, you're bound. And that's the message of the gospel, of course, that we want to portray. Unless individuals are satisfied continuing to go to church week after week. Carrying those chains along with them. I mean, it gets pretty tiresome after a while. And that's exactly the problem that the Pharisees had. Remember, he said, when you win over a convert, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. You're still lost. You're still in bondage. You wear the nice clothes. You have the phylacteries with the scriptures up here. You have your robes of many color. You fast. You, you have your little traditions. You do. You say, man, you got it down. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The true believer has that power. The power to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be a better husband. I can be a better wife. I can be a better son or a daughter. But most of all, I can be a better servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can stop me. So I'm going to set my heart to it. And that, what I set out to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to stand my ground. That doesn't come through Barabbas, but it comes through Jesus Christ. And so he is the one that we desire to bring that to. And if he has, then wonderful, we rejoice all together and we say amen to that, right? But if it's still serving a Barabbas, then the urgent call is turn around. Repent from that God. He's dead. He's living. He can't save. He can't do nothing for you. But all he's going to do is continue to rob and steal from you. And he's going to plunder your life until the day that you say, God, here am I, Lord, save my soul, Father. I know that I'm wretched. I know that I'm on my way to hell. But God, you can save me. Here am I, God. Do with me whatever you may. Stand back and watch and see what God can do. Let's pray. God, as we look... And even just two verses, they end up and say Barabbas was a robber. God, we can't even come to the knowledge and the belief unless you give us that revelation. We can't be convinced that we've been saved unless you give us that revelation. We can't be convinced that we're serving a different God unless you show us. So, Father, great, mighty God, we ask you that you would reveal this morning, not just in this room, Father, but all across the United States, Lord in every single church, God, that you would bring the truth and reality. Am I saved or am I serving a different God? Because I'm tired of living a plundered life, but I want to know the God who gives life and life in abundance. It's a promise that we can stand on, Father. We can stand our ground. We can be firm in our convictions. We can lead our children and our families. And we can do it with a smile on our face. Why? Because you are with us, God. We can be courageous and know that, that you won't leave us. You won't forsake us. But God, we need your help, God. We need you at times to help our unbelief. We need you to strengthen us, God. And so we call out to you, the everlasting God, the blessed God, the only God who has the power and the ability to raise us up up from the spiritual deadness God and to give us life Lord life so that we can live for you God not for ourselves not for anyone else but for you God give us this understanding Lord teach us God we don't want to continue going to church going to bible studies going to worship services but we're still dead in our trespasses if that's the case God let all of that foolishness stop Let us just return to a life of worthlessness if it's not that we're going to choose to surrender to you. But how can we surrender, God, unless you reveal it to us? So God, our prayer is that you reveal it. But for those who have already had it revealed, God, may it erupt in a joy and in a praise in our hearts and in our lifestyles that other people may see and say they have been with Jesus. Father, we thank you for all that you do, God. As always, we pledge our allegiance to you. And our declaration is that we love you, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.